Hello, Katawantoki here to Kamlo Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up. And while it might be true that, that we are friends to all and enemies to none, it's also important to remember that we can choose our friends but not our neighbors. Top U.S. officials meet with the Solomon Islands Prime Minister of the China Security Treaty. The Canucks say they will have no part of it because that basically means that they have been reduced to a minority. Then, of course, they will always lose. FLNKS parties in New Caledonia standing firm on decolonization from France. COVID-19 uh, in the past two years has made us sit back and rethink how we should do better in terms of tourism. And Pacific countries are well poised for the return of tourism as borders reopen. Two top U.S. officials met today with the Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Songobare in the wake of his government's signing of a security cooperation agreement with China. Solomon Islands government officials confirmed the arrival into Honiara and meeting appointment for the U.S. National Security Council Indo-Pacific Coordinator Kurt Campbell and the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia and Pacific Affairs Daniel Krettenbrink. Washington, D.C. announced the visit before Honiara and Beijing signed on the dotted line and concerns about the treaty are expected to be a major talking point. The only other known item on the agenda so far is talks around opening a U.S. embassy in Honiara. If you're interested in the updates on this story, please visit our website, rnzi.com. Now, while neither Honiara nor Beijing have made public the contents of the Security Cooperation Agreement, a recent panel of respected Solomon Islands leaders and commentators has provided some more insight into the fraught situation. The Blue Pacific Futures series on the Solomon Islands Security Agreement was co-hosted by the University of Hawaii and Georgetown University. The panel was attended by over 300 people from all over the world, the highest number of audience to attend the panel series underscoring the importance of the issue. The first panellist to speak was the opposition MP, Peter Kenny Loria Jr., member for East Areare in Solomon Islands and chairman of the Foreign Relations Parliamentary Committee. He reiterated his concern with the agreement and questioned the need for it, pointing out that Solomon Islands security problems were purely domestic and isolated to the capital, Honiara. So I, I just don't think that um, a treaty or diversifying our security will add value to our current security arrangements and uh, setups. Um, so I, for one, uh, don't uh, uh, condone or think that this was uh, a path that we should take and it's a path that would benefit Solomon Islands. Uh, for me, I think that the biggest winner here would be uh, the People's Republic of China in terms of uh, a foothold uh, in the Pacific region uh, through uh, Solomon Islands. In contrast, a former Prime Minister and the longest-serving Solomon Islands parliamentarian, Danny Phillip, argues there is a definite need to strengthen police and national security in the country, given the fractious nature of the country's political and traditional power structures. Danny Phillips says successive Solomon Islands governments have struggled to find ways of making tribal lands, cultural values and systems become more relevant to modern economic development needs. These unresolved fundamental reforms often developed into internal challenges that have become more serious and have political overtones which cause social segregation that often develop into violence and destruction and hence the need for establishment of strong and effective internal security apparatus and systems to underwrite and guarantee uh, economic development, investments and national assets. This and this alone is the basis for the expanded scope of security arrangements between Solomon Islands and China. 
As to the public perceptions of the security treaty in Solomon Islands, veteran journalist and media owner Dorothy Wickham said the intense media focus on the geopolitical narrative has to be changed to better inform locals about the impacts this arrangement will have on their day-to-day lives. Right now, I think a lot of Solomon Islands don't know what we are talking about and uh, actually don't really care, to be honest with you. I think everybody's struggling with everyday needs. Everyone's concerned that the schools have not started. And uh, we've had now the second wave of the uh, COVID uh, community transmission now. The numbers are climbing. And uh, also the access to uh, just basic food and services, medicine in our clinics. Those are the issues that I think some landlords are worried about. It needs to be refocused, this deal, and whether it's good for us in the future or whether it's not. Solomon Islands National University professor and political expert Transform Angorao says the fact Solomon Islands needs external help is indisputable in his view, but whatever supportive arrangement is established for the security apparatus of Solomon Islands, it needs to be coherent and not have the kind of conflict currently playing out amongst the parties providing that support. Unfortunately, because of the way in which it has been developed, the evolution of this particular arrangement has given rise to these different um, conflicts of views. But I'd, I'd like to be able to see that, to that extent, perhaps the text of the agreement that we have, and it's probably water under the bridge now because it's been signed, could could reflect this coherence a little better, as it were. You know, there are regional considerations around which we operate. And while it might be true that, that we are friends to all and enemies to none, it's also important to remember that we can choose our friends, but not our neighbours. New Caledonia's largest pro-independence party said it will not give up on the gains made in terms of decolonization from France under the 1998 Nouméa Accord. The president of Union Caledonie, Daniel Goa, made the statement in an address at the party congress in the north of the main island earlier this month. Outlining its key points ahead of negotiations with Paris about the territory's institutional future. Last December, just over 96% voted against independence from France in the third and last referendum provided under the Nouméa Accord. However, the plebiscite was boycotted by the pro independence side after it unsuccessfully asked Paris to postpone the vote because of the impact of the COVID 19 pandemic on mainly the indigenous Kanak population. Joining me is RNZ Pacific senior journalist Walter Zweifel. Colonel Walter, tell us more about this position that you see, and by extension, the FLNKS are maintaining. Well, the Caledonian Union has again said that it will not uh, give away anything that they've achieved under the Rio Accord. They're determined that they will get their independence or their sovereignty. They say by 2025, they want to have attained what is their right. Uh, as the indigenous people under international law to have their sovereignty uh, with the, the Nomi Accord process that provided three referendums on independence, with that process having somewhat failed, they say they will just find a new way of achieving this goal of independence. And just going back to those refer- referenda, um, uh, Walter, so the, the, the first two were held legitimately. Um, they were The first one was uh, quite a large victory, but not as large as they expected for the anti-independence. The second one, the margin was narrowed and they basically shot themselves in the foot, didn't they? Like they, the third one, if they if they just delayed it a bit and had everyone at the party, would, would probably likely still have been a, a slim victory for the anti-independence and they'd have more ground to stand on. 
possibly, we don't know what the results would have been. Uh, the pro-independent side uh, campaigned until September with the hope or, or wish that they could uh, have a majority and have their independence. But we have to remember at the time, they also said that if the process with these referendums did not yield independence, then they would have to talk to Paris directly and negotiate independence because they're adamant that independence has to arrive. But of course, the French government could have accepted the wish of the Kanak people or the Kanak politicians to defer this referendum by several months to sometime this year and eliminate this whole discussion about how COVID impacted or not on the campaign process back in uh, October last year. Now the French are continuing, they're talking already about just almost in, in a vacuum talking about continuing with uh, the new statute for New New Caledonia. How are those talks going? Oh, well, there is, uh, the third referendum did take place. Uh, however, uh, most people boycotted it. The result was 96% plus against independence, uh, which is the legal verified result. Uh, however, it is not uh, a true expression of the situation that the indigenous people feel themselves in. Um, the French government takes this as the, the proper outcome of a consultation. No one was prevented from voting. There was no vote rigging. It was a clean process. And uh, have already, the French government has already embarked on, on the next phase, and that is to set up uh, um, the consultation process that will lead to another referendum planned for June next year, when a um, new statute will be presented to the voters of New Caledonia in a so-called fourth referendum to reintegrate New Caledonia into France and close this chapter of decolonization. Uh, this is all being uh, planned, laid out without any input uh, from the pro-independent side. The pro-independent side said right after the referendum that they would not engage in any negotiations with France until after the French elections, that is now the presidential election, then in June we'll have the National Assembly election in France. Uh, the Caledonian Union and other pro-independence parties said they will not consider any input into this new process for new referendum. For them, the question is just how can we talk to Paris uh, and achieve uh, an outcome that will return sovereignty to New Caledonia? Uh, the Caledonian Union says that any of these talks, they have to take place in New Caledonia. Traditionally, uh, the so-called signatories to the Nomi Accord that was the framework for the last 20 plus years. Those talks usually took place in Paris. Uh, the entire political elite from New Caledonia would go to Paris, meet the prime minister, meet senior officials, be there for two or three days or a week and uh, not out uh, further steps in the, this decolonization process. But now the New Caledonian says now the next round of talks, if any, they're going to be in New Caledonia. Uh, we'll have to see who is going to accept this sort of formula. This this last referendum where, where the pro-independence Canucks boycotted and basically the anti-independent French loyalists got the, such a huge result. Does, does it not raise questions as to why there are even settlers on this referendum? If this if this question is about whether Canucks want independence, why are there even any French citizens or settlers on this electoral role to start with? From the Canucks point of view, 
they understand that there are people in New Caledonia who arrived there against their will. Uh, New Caledonia was a prison colony, a settler colony. The prisoners are considered as victims of history. And from the vantage point of the Canex, they want to create a new nation and offer uh, these so-called victims of history to join them in building a new nation. And uh, what they said, well, we invite you along on this path to end up with an independent New Caledonia. Do you want to be part of this new New Caledonia? They talk about the common destiny. Uh, the take with these, uh, the rejection now three times is that apparently the people who are now who had been invited in to join this project, don't want it, they'd rather be with France. Therefore, they won't talk to them anymore, but just talk to Paris directly. Indigenous people talking to Paris to, to get what they want, that is uh, the right to their own sovereignty again. That is the, the view. Now, uh, we have to add that as part of this decolonization process that was initiated in the late 1980s and then uh, firmed up with the Mumia Accord, there was a definition of who was going to be included in this new New Caledonian people. And you had to be a resident for 20 years in order to be able to vote. So only long-term residents were allowed in this referendum process, plus, of course, the indigenous people. And in the course of time, we've had people arrive from France. Uh, they have a right to vote in presidential elections in France, but they have no right to vote in provincial or general elections in New Caledonia and not in the referendum. Now, with this referendum victory for the anti-independence side, they argue that now this uh, Nomia Accord process is over. We have to open the electoral roll. You can't have citizens in a country, French citizens in your territory who've been there for 15 years and they're not allowed to vote. Therefore, this electoral role that is restricted for the so-called New Caledonian people, New Caledonian citizenship uh, has to be eliminated. Uh, the Canucks say they will have no bar of it because that basically means that they have been reduced to a minority. And should there ever be any vote that is run along, you know, this line, indigenous, non-indigenous people, then of course they will always lose. They've always been a minority. The South Pacific Tourism Organization says COVID-19 has led to many nations and territories in the region having to reset their tourism plans. The organization, which has 20 government members, is the mandated representative of tourism in the Pacific region. Its chief executive, Chris Cocker, says the last two years have seen zero return on tourism for the region. He told Moira Tulapatela in Palau that COVID-19 has forced many of its government members to reevaluate their tourism plans. The positive side of COVID-19 uh, in the past two years has made us uh, sit back and rethink how we should do better in terms of tourism. So it's given SPTO from a regional perspective to reset, rethink and rebuild eh? uh, tourism moving forward in the region. And I think that's the blessing that it's done. Uh, it, you know, every time you have a pause in anything, it gives you the ability to reevaluate where you're heading, etc. and rethink what can be better. And I guess places like um, in the region, looking at in particular Fiji and then obviously in the Cook Islands, you know, opening their borders slowly in terms of the Cook Islands. Um, do you feel a lot of the other nations in the Pacific whose borders have been closed for a while were looking at how Fiji or the Cook Islands were faring? I'd say certainly. Out of our 20 Pacific Island member countries, only three have reopened. 
and that is Fiji, French Polynesia, and Cook Islands. Uh, the message that, and so their success in opening has been uh, to me an inspiration to the others, a positive note that, you know, you can reopen uh, if you manage it very well and be well prepared. And these countries have not just opened overnight. It's been a lot of planning, a lot of preparation for the industry in, in uh, health and safety, etc., and reopening. Um, a lot of uh, because the thing with reopening is it's, it, it's, it's multiple stakeholders that are involved. Uh, your Ministry of Health, your your the different government departments. It's not only tourism in this case because you know the border is something else that that's happening. And then of course we are the secondary that receive the tourists. But yes, um, these three countries have been. Uh, a good learning ground for our member countries in moving forward. Um, you know, you talked about how some of those nations needed to look at planning, needed to prepare. Um, obviously, some of them have challenges in terms of their own health systems. Were they seeking assistance from your organisation to talk to other partner countries? Yeah, um, well, the, the health sector is not SPTO's responsibility, it's the tourism sector, but yeah, the reopening, uh, it's... Uh, it's slower than we expected and of course it's because it's beyond our control we've had delta we've got omicron and the countries that who were always safe from uh, from covid has now got them so that has delayed the reopening of all our member countries but uh, they have sought advice and we have uh, reached out to key partners to help them, particularly in how to reopen. Uh, that was the challenges there and what needs to be done. Uh, of course, there's a checklist that you had gone through. So what we've done at SPTO is we've been running webinars, uh, particularly uh, with uh, the three countries that have reopened to share their experiences, etc., so that they could learn from. Uh, we're working very closely with the ADB, uh, they have an initiative called the Private Sector Development Initiative, and before the end of last year, we we sent out sort of what you call a online toolkit or something like that, that provided a checklist for the countries to to go through in what they need to to prepare for reopening in this case. Yeah? So it's 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 not an easy overnight thing that could be done. It's 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 a lot of hard work. Fiji went through that. I mean, it took them about eight months or, or more than that to prepare for the reopening on the 1st of December, even Cook Islands as well. So, uh, it, it, and, and the key to reopening is a high level of vaccination in our society. And at the end of the day for our Pacific Island countries, uh, it is our people that's important, uh, that their safety is paramount. And if they are safe with high vaccination levels, it gives our leaders in these countries that have not opened and their respective uh, ministries more confidence in, in reopening to, to the outer world. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. More than Monday.